Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Rodney Vance directed the giant screen film Napa Valley Dreams and the short narrative film The Butterfly, The Harp, and The Timepiece, starring Academy Award winner Melissa Leo. He directed more than 30 stage plays and events and has worked as an expert consultant in writing for the Government Accountability Office in Washington, D.C. Vance has always had a passion for storytelling. His first story was published in Guide magazine when he was 11 years old. Rodney now has an MFA in playwriting at the Catholic University of America and an MA in religion at Andrews University. His professional memberships include the Writers Guild, the Dramatists Guild, the Television Academy, and Mensa. Rodney is currently the chair of the Department of Film and Television at La Sierra University. And Carol, I understand Rodney is a new donor to the Roy Dean Film Grant. Yes, he is. We're so honored to have his donation. He's giving a consultation for the winner of the fall, Dean Grant. And thank you very much, Rodney, for joining us. I'm so uh, pleased to be part of this. Carol and Claire, and um, also glad to be able to support the Roy Dean Film Grant, which has been of benefit to so many independent filmmakers. It's oh, thank thing. you. Wait till, wait till we get you up to date with the latest winners. It's getting more fun every year. So, Rodney, what I want to cover first are some tips for the best marketing and fundraising, because you have two brilliant films that you created successfully, and you have marketed each film to different audiences. So let's start with your Napa Valley Dreams film. I know you created this film once you moved to Napa Valley, so tell us more. Napa Valley Dreams came about, I was uh, teaching at Pacific Union College in Napa Valley, and um, uh, as often happens with academic departments, we were underfunded and I wanted to uh, find a way to increase funding to improve the quality of education for our students. And the normal way that academic institutions do that is, is pursue donors and that sort of thing. And I thought this time it might be fun to uh, take advantage of the skill sets uh, that we were trying to teach our students and do a film about Napa Valley. And uh, I wanted it to be an IMAX-style giant screen film. Um, and uh, really showcase what I loved about the Valley and its people. And that's where it started. Um, it took us, oh, Carol, it took us a couple of years to figure out how to put together business plans and get a lawyer for private placement memorandums and, and raise the money. Uh, but I'm very proud with what um, students and professionals working together were able to achieve with that film. Um, and that's essentially how the film came to be. Wow. So, in other words, you you used your resources at hand, the people uh, who were learning to make films or had had some experience in it, to create the film. So, starting from um, scratch, did you write the uh, overview of the film? Did you write the treatment? What, 
Yeah, I actually wrote a full script to the film uh, based on people who I knew that I wanted to talk to in the film and then looking at their websites and talking to them in advance to get an idea of what they wanted to say. We put together a whole script together, which obviously we didn't put in front of the people and ask them to read the script. We just it gave, gave us always an idea of what we were trying to get on camera uh, for each person that we interviewed. Napa Valley Dreams is essentially about... Uh, various people who live in Napa Valley and who are, are engaged in a variety of professions, including the most famous winemaking and food um, being chefs, um, <clears throat> but a number of others as well from all different economic backgrounds and the dreams that they bring to the valley and the distinctive lifestyle that that creates, which results in this amazing way of living that Napa Valley is famous for. And uh, we combined that with uh, state-of-the-art technology. Um, doing, we used the Red Epic camera uh, and, and very advanced lenses, prime lenses from Russia, so that we didn't have to use lights with the film and we could get into a lot more places quickly and easily, uh, which is important to documentary filmmaking. We also were the first documentary film released using the Dolby Atmos sound mix. Um, and uh, purely through happenstance, we also captured the last on-camera interview and keyboard performance of Ray Manzarek, who's a resident of uh, Napa Valley and was also keyboard player of the Doors before he died. Oh, my gosh, how wonderful for that. That was a great achievement. And how nice to have him in your film. But tell us, what is this uh, Dolby sound mix that you were for the first one to use? Well, Dolby, of course, has been involved in sound uh, both for the home market and especially for theaters, theatrical films, for a long time. They've come out with a new kind of sound mix, uh, like a Dolby 9.1 almost, um, where the theater is filled with speakers in the ceiling and around all the walls. And then rather than assigning a sound to a particular channel which comes out of a particular speaker as they've done in previous mixes. This time they're assigning sound to a spot in the theater and then they use the various speakers around the room and in the ceiling to place the sound at the specific spot in the theater. It's a remarkable transformation in audio technology uh, and I'm so glad that we were able to include it in our film. It was a lot of fun being in the Dolby sound mixdown room and working with the mixer, and we had a, have a scene with Rain in it, and he goes, all right, which rows do you want to get wet? And I said, all right, let's pick rows four, five, six, and seven. The rain's going to fall right on them, and everyone behind that, the rain's in front of them, and everyone in front of that, the rain's behind them. And that's something that's very possible to do with Dolby Atmos. We can place the bird that's flying around. We can place it so that you hear it flying around the room and, and, and uh, singing, um, or we, the same thing can be done with music. We had some of the music has drum rolls. We used a lot of um, ancient instruments in the film to give it a unique sound, and we were able to take some of the the sounds and move them in circular patterns around the room. Uh, so it's really not only a strong visual experience, it's a strong audio experience. And related to film funding, which is I know what we're talking about, um, having things like that that are unique and special to your film are what that's what uh, attracts money to the film and it's also very very much what attracts audiences and distributors to the film trying to find something that's unique 
that you can put together with your particular film. Yeah, your unique selling point. Absolutely right. So for for your film, what did you what was that? Uh part of it was I mean it's a lot of it's what we've been talking about. Part of it was having the final interview with Ray Manzarek. Part of it was uh taking a, a rather unique approach to Napa Valley rather than just focusing on winemaking and the the world class chefs. We've we focused on an entire lifestyle mix. And uh, part of it was the technology, uh, being able to take um, a, a, the equivalent of a 70-millimeter camera into places uh, that had not been filmed uh, with that level of equipment before in Napa Valley, um, and also um, the, the new Dolby Atmos sound mix. All of those things work together to create something that um, is, a, is a special and relatively unique uh, video and audio experience. Well, and as you were pitching the uh, the film to investors, you those were the topics that you used as your key selling points. We didn't use uh, Raymond's Eric because we didn't know that we were going to have his final interview when we were pitching it at the time. We weren't even sure we were going to get him in front of the camera. Um, but the other things, yes, we did use. We had. Uh, a copy of the script and the synopsis of the approach we were going to take to the script, uh, and then also uh, comparable films uh, that were destination films at different places around the country, because that's essentially what Napa Valley Dreams is, is a destination film. After we opened, uh, we ran for almost a year at the Cameo Cinema in St. Helena, uh, which is right in the heart of Napa Valley, and currently we have plans to reopen the film in a beautiful theater um, called the Empress Theater in downtown Vallejo, the gateway to Napa Valley. Uh, we'll be opening it there around April the 1st. Uh, April the 1st is our target date. And uh, so that anyone who goes up and visits Napa Valley can stop in uh, and see the film on their way into or out of the valley. Now, is it an IMAX film? No, it's a giant screen film, but uh, giant screen is like Kleenex. Um, the generic term is tissue, and the branded company name is Kleenex, but it could also be Puffs. Uh, we're actually giant screen, um, and, and we are not IMAX branded. Uh, we work more closely with Dolby, actually, than we do with IMAX. Uh, IMAX was sufficiently... Uh, well, I don't know if I want to say this on the on the radio or not here, but uh, it was more expensive, so we chose not to go with that particular branding. There are real advantages to the IMAX um, uh, visual experience, but we could not use Dolby Atmos sound with an IMAX. Um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking? Deliverable. Um, <clears throat> so we went with giant screen format instead. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, how long is it? It's 41 minutes long. It's perfect for uh, coming in and um, sitting down and resting a little bit on your way into the valley or on your way out and finding out uh, some of what's available to be seen uh, in this place that you're about to visit. Well, the residents must be so proud of your film. We get along well with the residents, and we've gotten a lot of cooperation from them, and that continues to this day. Um, there are many... Uh, uh, very well-known residents in Napa Valley, as as well as the lesser-known ones, and uh, we've we've been um, strongly supported pretty much across um, across the board in Napa Valley, which we're very grateful for. 
Right. Well, did you raise most of the money in that area? No, we expected that we would. Uh, but the truth is uh, four-fifths of the budget came from outside of Napa Valley, of the money that we raised. Incredible. Uh, some of it from as far away as Virginia. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are these people who had a relationship with the Valley, or uh, were they just high-net-worth individuals who liked the film? Uh, most of them did not have a relationship with the Valley. Some of them had a relationship with Pacific Union College, which is where I worked. Um, hmm. And um, otherwise, it was just people who believed um, in the uh, concept of the film and what it could do. So we appreciated very much their, their support. And when you see the film, what kind of a, a feeling do you have at the end of the film? Is it uplifting, Rodney? How do you feel? It's, it's very uplifting. The film uh, takes you to some very dark places. Uh, it's the one of the things that are in Napa Valley that most people don't know about is the, the Veterans Home, which includes the Pathway Home Program. It's the only program in the United States um, that focuses on uh, treating uh, veterans with PTSD. And uh, there are elements to that program which we captured on film which are, are very painful um, and, and emotionally uh, um, moments, you know, for a brief time difficult to watch as you, um, as you watch people struggling with, uh, with their PTSD. Um, but the final sense of the film is definitely one of wonder, uplift. You're going to walk out feeling good. Uh, over the credits, we've got an original song written by one of the uh, bands in the Valley called Wine Country Cowboy, which is just loads of fun. A lot of people don't know that there are still ranches in Napa Valley with real, live, authentic, genuine cowboys. And um, uh, so we get we capture some footage of that. And uh, part of what I'm very excited about with the film, we worked with Christopher Rusin, uh, who at the time was one of the top time-lapse photographers in the country. He did things with time-lapse photography and night skies and flowers and that sort of thing for the film, uh, which are extraordinary, including uh, moving camera panning, uh, you know, moving camera shots like along a track of, uh, so that you're getting the camera moving while the stars are moving across the sky. Um, oh. There are some truly stunning images in that film, and, and it will take your breath away, and um, uh, you'll walk out just delighted you saw it, I think, filled with wonder about the good earth that we live in. The good earth we live in, so true. Well, and what did the school think about it? Were they proud? Uh, yes. Um, the... Uh, especially the the fact that our film majors were able to play significant roles in the actual making of the film so that our film our film students and professionals were working side by side together it's a a model for filmmaking that i like very much uh where students and and uh, professionals team up uh so that the students are getting an onset mentoring experience and they get yelled at when they make foolish mistakes, which is good. They learn it a whole lot better that way than if someone tells it to them in a classroom. <laughs> it's the best way to learn, the best yes, way. Yes, exactly. 
um, we had a student whistling on set one day, and uh, someone really took him to task and said, you do not whistle on a set. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and they never whistled on set again. You know, it just never happened. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you said it took several years. How long did it take it from inception until you screened it? Do you remember? Uh, about three years from inception to screening, and about two years of that was was uh, pulling together the funding, and then close to one year was um, the the filming because we wanted to film through all four seasons. Um, and then uh, we had, oh, about six months of post-production, which was really fast, but we were trying to open the film at the Cameo Cinema in May of 2013. It's been there for a couple of years now. Um, and um, that was because it was the 100th anniversary of the cinema, and they had completely remodeled and updated it and put in um, the facility so they could handle the Dolby Atmos sound and all of the rest, but uh, they were still celebrating their 100th birthday, and they wanted to um, to premiere the film at that occasion and at that event. So we we worked very hard to make sure we were ready for that, and I'm glad we made it. A historical site, a hundred-year-old theater. Yes, there aren't very many that were built in the United States before then. It was Incredible. built in uh, 1913. Forward-thinking enough to install that new sound system. Incredible. Yeah, well, they did that um, in the in the run-up to the hundredth anniversary, and they did it in part to accommodate the film Napa Valley Dreams. So. At the opening, they played the very first film that had ever been screened at the theater, and uh, which they had to really scour to find a copy of. And then they played Napa Valley Dreams. So it was really quite a gala evening. Oh, I can imagine. How exciting for the whole community to share in that. That sounds great. Now tell us how you uh, marketed Napa Valley. Uh, Napa Valley Dreams is uh, primarily a destination film, which means it's um, it's best seen close to the destination where it's set. Uh, we did get picked up for distribution as well by an organization called Big and Digital Films, which has been marketing it to museums and science centers, especially art museums around the country and around the world. Uh, we also got picked up by Sony uh, to broadcast uh, on all of their electronic devices. <clears throat> and most recently, we've been picked up by Principal Media, uh, which is helping us uh, to mix uh, this, remix the sound. So it will be the first, one of the first films released in the new Dolby Home Atmos mix. Uh, and they'll be releasing it uh, on television throughout the world uh, with that. So in that sense, it's had a much broader market than we originally anticipated. Uh, and like I said, we did close the film at the end of 2013 at the Cameo Cinema. There were issues with parking and so on in the small town of St. Helena, but we will be reopening it, we believe, on April the 1st in Vallejo. So um, uh, the marketing... Um, the distri distribution certainly helps with that, knowing specifically what uh, audience you're attempting to target helps with that. And then uh, we're finding 
we're reconfiguring um, the marketing approach from the company a little bit right now. We're just rebuilding our website called singularentertainment.com, and it just went active last night. Uh, it's not finished yet, but at least you can go there. Um, and what we're trying to do is use social media a lot more and use um, from the footage that we shot of Napa Valley, we want to put uh, like Vine clips up or small clips that can be available for free or for like 99 cents, um, trying to, um, to work to attract an online audience uh, for this film and for the next film that we're just releasing, uh, which is coming out uh, this fall. Well, that sounds great. I just wanted to go back. Um, tell me about, um, I didn't quite get the full name of the digital films distributor that's taking this to museums. Uh, the one that's taking it to museums is a giant screen distributor, and the, their name is Big and Digital Films. Um, they uh, specialize in uh, films that were shot digitally that were intended for the giant screen, um, such as those we shot ours with the red camera, which is a digital camera. Um, but... Uh, so we're, we were using that technology to kind of replace the 70 millimeter. It was very nerve-wracking the first time I saw the film um, on a very, very large screen at the Giant Screen Cinema Association convention, uh, right up against the 70 millimeter film prints and so on. And, and I was very relieved when the film held its own. It, it wasn't. It's not quite as good, especially in the long shots, as if it had been shot on 70 millimeter film. Although I think even that's been perfected now. Um, but uh, on the medium shots and the close-ups, you really couldn't tell the difference, even in front of uh, professional cinematographers and directors. Um, it was very difficult to tell the difference between the close shots and the medium shots um, in between what was shot on the red and what was shot in 70-millimeter film. Oh, my heavens. That's, that's an incredible thing to say to someone who loves film as much as I do. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh-oh, I've spoken heresy now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well, and so Sony wants to broadcast it to what what area again? Explain that one. They're global. Sony is, is a global distribution uh, worldwide, and they broadcast it on all their electronic devices. They broadcast it on their 4K TV sets and their uh, Sony-branded phones and any anything else that's Sony-branded. Uh, they broadcast it. So it would be on their iPhones? Uh, iPhone is Apple, um, but um, oh. I, I forget what the name of the phone is that Sony puts out. But the Don't Sony they have a phone? Do, they have their own phone. <laughs> I'm not even sure they have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think so it says something about phones in the distribution contract, so I'm not really sure. But it's on any electronic device that Sony sells. It's distributed on that. It has visual on, content. An achievement because with Sony, uh, that that gives you a giant audience worldwide. Yes, it does. I'm very grateful that they picked it up, and uh, we've also um, Dolby is using clips from the film to promote their Dolby Atmos sound. And uh, so every once in a while, I walk into a Best Buy or something, and I see clips of Napa Valley Dreams playing, which is a lot of fun. And, oh my uh, Deluxe goodness! Is, Deluxe is also using the film um, for for um, promotional purposes, uh, clips from the film. So we're we're very happy about that. Your film is a trendsetter. 
we think that it will hold for i mean it's it's like an evergreen we think that it will hold and have value for at least a, a few years for a run and that was something we intended from the beginning as well uh well, we didn't want a, it to be something that would go obsolete in 6 months no no i'd say it's a historical document that will have a very long shelf life even 10 years from now people want to see what was going on 10 years ago etc cetera, etc cetera. So the older it gets, the better it gets, I would think. I certainly hope you're correct in that. <laughs> we like a long run with this, a long, uh, what do they call it, the long tail for a long distribution to a niche market. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what we're hoping for with this film. And so far that's proving to be correct. Like um, we're just now getting picked up by principal media for distribution uh, in various countries around the world, including, um, I know they're talking, from what I understand, they're talking to the National Geographic Channel in the U.S. Um, but that deal isn't done, so I don't know. I'm probably speaking out of turn to say this is the conversations that are being held, but there's no deal in place. Wonderful. Um, now, tell me something. For people who are listening and are interested in getting a consultation with you, how can they reach you, Rodney? Um, they should um, go to singularentertainment.com. There's a contact page there, and they can contact me through that. Okay, excellent. S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R entertainment.com. That's it. All right, That's so exactly now let's it. get into the next film that you finished, uh, The Narrative Chart, starring Oscar winner Melissa Leo. How did you get through to Melissa to get her approval to work with you? Um, I became friends with a gentleman named uh, Malik Houlihan, um, and uh, he uh, is friends with Melissa Leo, and that connection uh, is what... Um, got the script in front of Melissa. Um, I don't know how much research she did into into me and the work that I've done. Uh, I'm My professional memberships, I suspect, helped because uh, um, I'm a member of the Writers Guild and the Television Academy, uh, which demonstrates that I've done some professional work. Um, she may have also checked out, I believe she looked at Napa Valley Dreams, but I can't verify that. At any rate, um, she agreed uh, to meet with me for lunch one day, so we met for an hour. She asked some very thorough and pointed questions, which were wonderful. Um, we had a very frank conversation, and at the end, she told me she would agree to be in the film. And uh, I'm very, very grateful to her for appearing in the film. She did an amazing job. We gave her the most esoteric role in the film, um, and uh, with her uh, strong groundedness uh, and and the way she acts out of out of uh, core reality um, gave um, a real groundedness to that particular role, which I think works very very well in the film. Keeps it from being airy spacey kind of a thing. And um, we uh, also have in the film um, Alex Ebert, who's the lead singer of a band called Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Uh, and won a Golden Globe Award for his composition work um, for uh, the Robert Redford film. Uh, I forgot the title of it, about Robert Redford being on a ship that's sinking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, I love that. Uh, it was, yeah, yes. up for an Oscar. And 
And uh, the score was written by Alex Garingas, who won the Grammy in 2013 for Best Pop Album um, and uh, for a song that uh, was performed by Kelly Clarkson. Um, and uh, he's written a brand new song for our film uh, that will be getting released alongside the film. Um, so we're very excited at the level of talent uh, that has agreed to, to work with uh, with this particular film and with our students. Again, this was done with, uh, with film students working right alongside with the professionals. That's incredible. Uh, and the students were also from the Napa Valley School? No. Uh, we shot this film. Um, I left Napa Valley and took a job as chair of the Department of Film and Television at La Sierra University in Riverside, uh, just outside Los Angeles. And uh, it was the students from La Sierra University that worked on um, um, the Butterfly, the Harp, and the Timepiece, which is the new the new short film. And how long is the film? It's just under ten minutes in length, so it's a nice short film. And um, um, I'm very excited about it. We're going to start releasing it to the festival circuit sometime this fall. And um, I. Uh, I, I'm just very, very proud of this new film. I think it's. Uh, I think people, the audiences, will respond very well to it. Well, what's the log line? Since you wrote the whole par- the whole story about log lines in my book, The Art of Symphony. <laughs> oh yes, and now my log line isn't going to be good enough for what I wrote in that article. <laughs> but uh, it's essentially um, a magic shop where. Um, People from all walks of life can find what they need, if not necessarily what they want. It's a way of, uh, it's three intertwined stories, actually, of of characters uh, that have an object which uh, externalizes something internal that they need to resolve. Um, The writer came up with a brilliant concept, I think. He wanted to do a Charlie Chaplin-style film that was contemporary, uh, but and so therefore not silent, but with limited dialogue, and um, he wanted it to. Um, how do I want to say this? He wanted it to express, um, uh, find ways to express these internal uh, dreams and desires of the human spirit, and he wanted to do it in a way that was as visual as possible and used as little dialogue as possible. So I think there's less than. 100 words of dialogue in the entire film. Uh, so the music in the film also becomes incredibly important and becomes part of the narrative arc. It's not just accompaniment. It's, uh, it's part of the narrative arc itself. So um, a chance to be able to use a short film where music tells part of the story and uh, intense um, uh, visual imaging uh, on an on an independent film budget, uh, short film budget, which is of course always very low. So finding ways to do that were the trick, and I think we came up with some solutions that audiences will find very moving. How oh, fantastic! So it's you, another group of still skill sets were used for this. Um, but what kind of a script did you give Melissa? I think it was the script and you personally that probably convinced her that this would be a successful film. But knowing your scripts, because I've read some of them, and they stay with you forever, so um, did was all of it outlined in the script, all the feelings and emotions and things that were not in words? 
Well, I appreciate the good words about the scripts, and I know you, you've read several of mine. Uh, in this particular case, I didn't write the script. It was written by a brilliant fellow named Joseph Lennon McCourt, um, and um, and he's the one who came up with that concept. Uh, he did write a full script with uh, interlocking storylines uh, and the dialogue and um, uh, the basic visuals that uh, that were desired uh, throughout the script. And uh, we uh, um, took that and and visually attempted to communicate um, the the needs, the active the active verbs of the script throughout, the visual active verbs, and uh, and translate that into a fast-paced and powerful little film. And yes, uh, you're correct. Melissa Leo did read the script and was attracted to the script um, uh, and would not have done the film if she didn't believe in the script. Yes, good. And is he a student of yours or a friend of yours? Uh, Joseph is a person that I met at a storytellers conference about six months uh, before the film. Joe um, attended a screening of Napa Valley Dreams and decided that I would be a good director for this script of his and so asked me to do it. Um, and so we we raised money and, uh, and made the film. Um, so he was not a longtime friend, but he's not a student. He's um, had a long and accomplished career as an actor. And as a mime, uh, audiences might recognize him most as the mime who was in the first Got Milk commercial, um, which was is a lot of fun. So um, he uh, he's the one who actually wrote the script. Great, great. And then all the students got to to be part of the crew and and even act in it. Um, yes, that's correct. They acted in, in the smaller roles, and uh, they uh, assisted on camera. They assisted on sound. It was a student that did the production design for the film, um, and students were heavily involved in key roles throughout the production of the film. In addition, a student did a behind-the-scenes film, uh, video about the film, uh, and that was not only directed and created by a student, but it was entirely made by students, with every element of it made by students. And that behind-the-scenes film is is visible now and can be seen at singularentertainment.com. It's up. It's posted. Oh, I want to see that. What fun that must be. That's great. Well, um, how did you find this film, Rodney? This one we filmed very differently than Napa Valley Dreams. Um, it was a much less expensive film to make than Napa Valley Dreams, in part because we were able to use the equipment from Napa Valley Dreams to shoot the film, so we didn't have to rent it or purchase it, uh, which saved us a lot of money, um, and I was glad to be able to provide that. Uh, the actual ca uh, cash costs of the film were in guidelines with uh, uh, what we were allowed to budget for by the Screen Actors Guild uh, for online uh, distribution only or festival distribution. Um, and what we did for that then is I said, look, we're going to mention, we're going to have the name La Sierra University Department of Film and Television is the first thing people see when the film comes up. Uh, and uh, so we went to donors and said, this is this is. Uh, a way not only for our students to get a good good value um, of education, but also a way to market this brand new film department a little bit. 
Um, so this is an entirely donor-based uh, film, and the goal of the donors on this particular film is simply to have it seen by as many people as we possibly can. So it's not about trying to raise money back or anything else. It's just simply about getting it out there. Uh, and we're going to be, for at least the next 12 months and possibly the next 24, we're going to be going through the festival circuit, which was always the intention. And once it's gone through the festival circuit, we'll make the film available online. Oh, how wonderful. Go through the festival circuit and put it online. Well, I would think that the same uh, marketing uh, companies would want this film, like Sony. I mean, this is a 10-minute film. This would be great for someone that's stuck in traffic or standing in line. Cute film to watch. That actually is probably something I should have anticipated, um, but I did not, frankly. I did not think uh, distributors would be very interested in a film under 10 minutes, which tells you that I'm old-fashioned and not fully caught up with what's happening with uh, the social media revolution, uh, because you're absolutely correct. The moment the distributors for Napa Valley Dreams got wind of this film, they started saying, hey, we want to see it. We'd like to talk to you about distribution. So this might get actually a much wider distribution than um, uh, originally anticipated. I'm sure it will. I think that you're onto something. I'm, in these days, anything that you can think of, I say you can do it. Uh, there are no boxes anymore. You know, think outside the box. Well, I think there aren't any boxes. It's a, it's the Wild West and digital marketing and production so just go for it is what i tell filmmakers but i've never heard anybody do that before well great that means you can be the first it's a great way to start making films i think we are working deliberately and very hard toward trying to figure out how to draw an audience to these a significant audience to these films online and I it freely admit although the original intention was to distribute uh, butterfly harp and timepiece completely free online uh, we may end up charging something like 99 cents we certainly don't want to charge a lot for the film uh, but we may end up chart when we do put it online we may end up charging a little bit for the very simple reason that if we can generate Here's my business producer hat, sorry. If we can generate a um, reliable revenue stream so that we say, all right, if we put together this kind of a film, we are uh, likely to attract 300,000 viewers at 99 cents, which is almost $300,000, then we can make another film and it becomes commercial if we make a short film for 25,000 or 50,000 or something like that and we think we can generate a revenue stream of 300,000 for that well then we're now in profit profitability um and uh it, that's not it's essentially the same as the studio business model but instead of 100 million dollar films we're talking about 20,000 dollar films and uh, if we can if we can do that that will provide a solid financial basis for our company and allow us to do what I really, really want to do, which is to just keep making films. Absolutely. Just totally agree. Now, there's a company called VHX that you should check out because okay. they will load your film to your website and handle the delivery and everything for a percentage. 
Now, uh, since you're telling me about this for the first time, are they um, are they superior to Vimeo for that? Vimeo Pro or Vimeo Business? I don't know. I, w- I really don't know, but you should but check them out. Does Vimeo? I definitely uh, will. I'll look them up. Okay, that sounds good. Well, I don't um, I don't want to get off course here, but I do want you to tell me more about um, what you do as the chair for the film and TV department at La Sierra University. Um, we we just finished our third year of existence. We're about to start our fourth year of existence as a department at La Sierra University. Um, I'm delighted that the university has decided to begin offering film pro- film and television production training here. Uh, we offer only one degree at this point in time, which is a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, which means that we are very focused on production. Uh, we are not uh, strictly an academic program where you read about making films. We actually have all of the equipment here that you need to be able to make an independent film or uh, high-def television series or web series. Um, and all of that is available for checkout um, for um, film majors. We also have um, a soundstage and a very nice uh, brand new sound mix-down room that's opening this fall along with edit bays and other facilities that are necessary to be able to do this. And then we take students in and uh, beginning in their freshman year, we expect them to check out cameras. We have student employees, uh, student teaching assistants who assist them with learning how to use the gear right off the bat. And we expect them even um, right away to begin checking out the gear and learning how to use it and taking films with it, editing their footage. Um, And um, and by the end of their senior year, uh, we want them entering um, their films in film festivals and so on and doing what needs to be done to start their career. So when we can take these film students and give them an IMDb credit where they're working on something along with an Academy Award winner such as Melissa Leo, This is something that really launches them in their film career. La Sierra University is also a Christian school. I want to make that very clear, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, so that our students here have to um, uh, be willing to take some religion classes and go to some worships. (laughs) So if if they're not willing to do that, this isn't the right match. Uh, But uh, I'm very on board with that, actually, because I think one of the things... um, that happens with the trade schools, you get a very good education in the gear, uh, but you don't necessarily get a good education in the mind and the spirit. Um, so that, uh, and I think this is important for a filmmaker and a storyteller to have not only knowing how to use the gear to get incredible footage, but, um, but having something to say. Uh, and I think that's an important part of the education at La Sierra University. Sounds wonderful. I have to tell you that, remember, I ran a business for 33 years in Hollywood, and I, when I decided to sell my business, I thought, who in the world am I going to find that will really pay me off? Because usually most people want to give you money down and then pay you on a yearly basis or monthly basis. And in the film industry, you know, it is so fraught with people who are not that honest that I have to tell you, I looked for someone who had a very strong religious bent, and I sold it to a gentleman who was a Seventh-day Adventist who paid me every penny, 
and uh, has been donating to our film grants for almost 20 years now. I so didn't I know that, nothing. Carol. That's a great but, story. Yeah, honest to true. Still a good friend. Uh, it's, he's interesting. I, you know, I sent him an email like, "Will you? Are you going to donate again this year?" Because he gives a lot of money to the grant. And uh, I didn't hear from him, and I called him in, and he said, "Of course, don't don't email. Just expect yes." So <laughs> you fantastic. can't ask for more. Yeah, and he took my company, changed the name, said, "Well, Edgewise, what well, it was, but now it's uh, film. I think it's film media." Uh, he still has the New York and the L.A. Uh, office. Is instead of being in Hollywood, it's now in Burbank, but. He does a wonderful job. People love him, respect his company. And I am happy as a clam because he kept his word. That's, that's fantastic. Fair. I'm very, very pleased to hear that. That's great. Yeah. I didn't okay. know that part of your history, actually, and I'm glad to know it now. Yes. Uh, yes, that's great. All right, well, Rodney, what? give us... Uh, some parting words of advice for filmmakers. Tell us any any pitfalls that they could prevent or things that you feel are very good tips to help them in either production or marketing. Filmmaking is very challenging work and very time-consuming work and very expensive work, even as a small film. I mean, if you're, if you're putting $20,000 into a film, that's an incredibly low-budget film. But $20,000 is still a lot of money. It's a down payment on a house on the West Coast. Um, and um, it, uh, if you're going to do it, make something that you're really passionate about. Make something that you really love. Because if you're passionate about it, you'll be able to, to convey that passion to people who can help you. Uh, either with uh, with the cash or other resources that you need, or or by coming on board as an actor or cinematographer or whatever else that you need, you've you've got to have that core passion about the material that you're trying to do. And um, when you're passionate about it, you can sell it. You can sell it to the creative team that you need, and you can sell it ultimately to the audience that you want to have see the film. Excellent. That's the best advice. People who call me and say, I'm thinking about making a film about, I think, uh, no. <laughs> I want you to say, I am making a film about this. Let me tell you, it's so exciting. So Yeah, that's exactly right. At some point, you have to sit down in your quiet moment and say, am I going to do this or not? And and if you can't say, well, if it's, I'll do it if this and this, then don't do it. It's got to be, yes, I'm going to find a way to do this film. I don't know how, but I'm going to find the way <laughs> because it's that important. And when you're there, you're ready to start. Absolutely. That's a great tip. Uh, anything else? What about the marketing? What, what did you learn there you might want to share? Um, I, I wish actually that I was more conversant in social mar media than uh, I, I know that a number of other people out there are, are ahead of me on this one, and I'm still uh, learning to catch up. But I do think there's, in addition to the standard distribution models, there are new potential ways of approaching uh, social media, not as a market, but as a conversation where you're like you're at a party with 
hopefully a large number of people present and you're getting acquainted with them and supporting uh supporting them and making them feel good about themselves and uh and then they uh, uh get interested in what you're doing and maybe want to see the film that you've got available for them to see somewhere uh but ultimately i think it's you keep in mind that this is a party and uh you are a guest and you're not on stage you're just mixing and mingling on social media and i think um um if you take that approach to social media i think um you can i think you'll be you'll be able to draw people to to what you're interested in as well good thank you so much so tell us one more time how people could reach you uh, I think the best way to reach me is to go to www.singularentertainment.com, uh, S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R, entertainment.com. There's a contact uh, button uh, on that uh, page, and if you click on that and send me an email, I'll get it. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this, and we want you back in another six months to find out what exciting new projects you're working on. Thank you so much for including me today. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Claire, for the great show, and thank you very much, Rodney. Look forward to seeing you when you are up in this area near Oxnard. You have to let me know. Likewise. We'll have lunch. Okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you both. Take care. care and be well, everyone. All right. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at FromTheHeartProductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.